It is always, always great to be here at your church. Um, I was told last night that I'm not the favorite, but I'm, I'm not at the bottom of the list either, so I'm fine with that. Um, but you are among our favorite churches, um, and so we, we're, we're happy to be here and to be a part of this uh, World Outreach Celebration again. Uh, it's always a special time to be here, and, and uh, the last few years we've lived close enough to where we can show up for other stuff too, and we enjoy that as well. It's, it's like being home for us. We're excited about today, about uh, bridging the gap between God and the peoples of the world and doing that by going beyond borders. And we're going to be um, referring to some of that this morning uh, in this class and then in the, in the next service as well. It's going, to be, uh, it's going to be a good day to be here, and I'm glad uh, you let us be a part of this. The, um, I want to start in, in, in Isaiah, if you would please, Isaiah chapter 49. And um, we're going to read the first few verses of that. Isaiah chapter 49. Before we do, let's, let's ask God to, to bless our time here together. Our Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity that you give us to uh, gather together the first day of every week to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And because of that event... Um, we are now justified. We are justified because He rose from the dead. He gave us eternal life by trusting in Him, and He made us as if we had never sinned. So we are now um, made perfect in Christ, and we, we get to go to heaven and spend eternity with Him and with you. And we're so grateful for the opportunity that you give us to celebrate that every week and to do it on the first day of the week. And we're, we're just always grateful to be with your people on the first day, and we're thankful for these who've come uh, a little bit earlier than some of the others to be able to study your word, and we thank you for the emphasis of your word in this place, and we pray that you would speak to us through your word and through uh, some details of the culture in which we live today, uh, that we might understand our place a little better. We would understand what you want to do in us and through us and, and how you want to use us wherever we are. Uh, to get the gospel around the world. We pray your blessing on, on uh, this, these next few minutes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Sharon has told me twice today that my button is unbuttoned, and I've buttoned it several times, so if it pops open again, please forgive me. It did fit before this week. Um, we have been eating nonstop around here, and that's one of the things I like about Kansas City is... You guys have real food, and it's really, really good. Um, I just thought of that because I... All right. Um, Isaiah 49. Let's, let's look there. We're going to read... Let's read the first six verses. Uh, Listen, O coastlands. Sounds like a border, doesn't it? Huh? Huh? Get it? Beyond borders? All right. Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. And he said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now the Lord says, Whom... 
who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, now listen to this, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the realities of the 21st century as we consider bridging the gap from God to the peoples by crossing the borders, by, by moving ourselves wherever God wants us to be. In, the, uh, in, in USA Today, back in 2011, this, this is a quote from that, from that time, the end of the first decade of the 21st century marks a turning point in the nation's social, cultural, geographic, racial, and ethnic fabric. It's a shift so profound that it reveals an America that seemed unlikely a mere 20 years ago. One that will influence the nation for years to come in everything from who is elected to run the country, the states, and the cities, to what type of houses will be built and where. The truth is, we have gone through in the last now almost 30 years a great urbanization that has been going on for for a century, but in the last three decades especially, it has been it has been phenomenal. In 1900, the urban population was eight percent. Eight percent of the population lived in cities. Eight. In 1950, it was 28 percent. 1975, it was 41 percent. In 2008, the population living in cities passed 50% for the first time. In 2050, the global urban population, population will reach 70%. All across the world, 70% of the people will be living in cities. Yesterday, cities were in the nations. Today, all the nations are in our cities. The United States, the largest 40 metropolitan regions, represent 170 million people, more than 50% of the total census of the year 2000. One of the most significant demographic trends in the past 20 years is the explosive growth in ethnic diversity. The highest concentration of immigrant population began in 2010. The immigration population doubled in many areas between 2000, or it didn't begin then, it, it, it culminated in 2010. It, the, 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 the immigration population doubled between 2000 and 2010. States with the largest and fastest growing immigrant populations are on the coasts and in the middle. That is to say, everywhere. North America has become a modern crossroads of people from the entire globe. So what? It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be 
my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus Christ told us, after he rose from the dead and before he ascended to heaven, he told us five different times and in five different contexts to go and to take the good news of the death and resurrection to everyone everywhere. And as we saw earlier this week, again, we saw the ethnos, the ethnicities, that the word that he used, that we have translated nations, and because we've translated nations, we think of a world map, and we think of all those lines, and, and that here are the Ecuadorians, and over here are the Colombians, and down here are the Peruvians, and, and, and we, we look at it as, as, a, as a geopolitical thing. But when he was speaking, he was talking about the groups of people who identify themselves by themselves. They have the same culture, the same language, the same worldview. And he told us to take the good news to all of them, everywhere. And the disciples did really well at first in the first part of it. They did well in Jerusalem until the persecution came. And then they finally got the idea, we need to take this everywhere. And so we began to evangelize the world. So what is the urbanization and what is immigration have to do with that. I, um, I want to show you a video, please. What if we could go into all the world without ever leaving the U.S.? What if we saw people moving to our country as a missional opportunity? What if we reached the nations through our cities? What if God is sending millions of unreached peoples to North America for more than a better life? What if I didn't come to America for the American dream? What if I came as a part of God? What if we responded to the fact that over half of the world's population now live in cities? What if I am more open to the gospel here than in my own country? What if the gates to unevangelized countries were open to American cities? What if the gospel spread through networks that already exist? Through business, through education, through migration. What if our cities became birthplaces for disciple-making movements around the world? What if I take my education and Jesus back with me to my country? What if the command to go met across town? What if American Christians were as good at missions in our homeland as we are overseas? What if the next challenge for missionary pioneers is not reaching remote villages, but reaching busy, hidden, influential people now residing in our cities? What if the strategic frontier of missions is closer to home than you think? What if the foreigner next door is one God wants to save? To reach thousands in Asia. Listen in the Middle East. What if disciples were made through long-distance phone calls? What if churches were started through Skype? What if churches not only adopted people groups overseas? What if we adopted the immigrant next door? What if immigrants reached immigrants? What if business people didn't just support missions? What if their business was used for missions? What if I used my home to welcome foreigners? What if I am the one God wants to use to reach the nation? What if I am the one? What if I am the one? What if you are the one? And what if a network existed to launch you into what God is doing among least reached peoples and cities? Matthew chapter 9, if you would please. 
Let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Verse 35, Matthew 9, Jesus went out about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the, na- among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus went to the towns and the villages and the cities, and he saw the multitudes. And when he saw the multitudes, I think we need to start seeing the multitudes. Um, we live our lives. We live our lives with purpose. On we have a we have a plan. We have a schedule. Every day we have something we need to we need to accomplish. Uh, we need to get our kids in to, to school, and we need to get ourselves to work, and we need to fulfill our obligations, and we need to pay our bills, and then we need to uh, feed our faces, and we need to sleep, and then we need to do it all over again. And we we have a life, and we have full lives, and our lives are busy, and our lives are complicated. And I think maybe we're not seeing the multitudes. We're not seeing all those people that are around us as God sees them. We see them as helping us fulfill our purposes. They sell us the things we want to buy or they buy the things we want to sell. Uh, they, they, they come into our lives at specific times and, and, and reasons. And then we go on. But Jesus saw them in a different way, didn't he? It says when he saw the multitudes... I think we need to see the people around us, and I don't think we will see them until we challenge ourselves to take our eyes off of ourselves. We, um, it, if you have traveled, and I know not everyone travels, not everyone thinks that's a great idea, um, and we, because that's all we do, we, we find it interesting that some people don't, you know, and they have no desire to. They like their zip code, and they're not moving. Um, <laughs> they don't want to go across town. Um, Sharon would cross the nation for a discount, um, <laughs> but they, they don't want to do that. They don't, want, they don't want to go anywhere for any reason, but you, gotta, you have to see that it's not all about me. We talk about my country and my job and my situation in my church, and I like things my way. When, when was the last time you made a decision that did not include the possessive pronoun, my? I come to this church because I like it. It's my kind of church. Chris is my kind of teacher. No, never, never, we won't vote on that. Uh, you voted by being here. Um, I like my neighborhood. I live there because it's my neighborhood and I like the way it is. Or now I don't like the way it is and I'm looking for a new neighborhood. We need to see the challenge around us to take our eyes off of ourselves. Who has God, who has God brought into our lives? Who has God brought into our area? 
into our schools, into our church, into our ethnic restaurants, our cultural groups, the international students in our colleges and universities. Who has God brought into our lives, in our areas? Often some are obvious, but uh, many more can easily be missed in everyday life. Some of them look like us, and they're not like us. Their language is different, and their culture is different. And some of them don't look like us, and their language is different, and their culture is different. Whether or not um, I don't, I don't I don't want this to be political. I want this to be ex- the opposite of political. <laughs> um, whether or not your immigrant neighbor is here legally or not, he's your neighbor, and God is sovereign. And it's your job not to check his green card. It's your job to see his heaven card. Is he, is he on his way to heaven? And what can you do about that? The Bible says when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. How can we be moved unless we know? How can we, how can we expect... And, and, and Chris said earlier that, uh, quoting Richard Lewis, that you know, a lot of people give or they get excited about missions emotionally. And we want it to be more than that, but we want it to be at least that. <laughs> we want you to at least be moved. We want you to at least understand enough to, to, to if, if you're only excited one, year, one week out of the year, at least, at least you understand this week. It's okay to be moved. It's okay to understand when he saw them, he was moved with compassion. And we will be moved when com- with compassion when we know and we understand the multitudes that are around us. We've gone through some perilous times recently in our country and in our state, um, in our cities. We, uh, Missouri got to be in the news lots, didn't they? Um, mostly St. Louis, but... You're the, you know, you're the next best thing, right? Um, all lives matter, don't they? Some, certainly not most, of the immigrants or foreigners in our country will be classified as illegal. But no one is in your area that has not been placed there by our God. And I know that's hard because we want to be people of the book and people of the law and people of the details. But you've got to get over that and understand God did not put those borders. He didn't design the nations the way they are. God is a God of it all. And if there's someone in your neighborhood that needs the Lord, you are the guy. You are the girl. You're the one that needs to do something about that. How will they be moved unless they know? How can we be moved? We've got to understand that God has a purpose in allowing this great urbanization and this great immigration to happen. But you've got to be able to listen. 
And I think it's important, and it's so simple uh, that, that I think we miss it. Um, we have to learn how to make open-ended questions to our neighbors. Tell me about your family. If there's someone that doesn't look like you or, or dress like you or talk like you, start talking to them about their family. We're kind of famous for that, aren't we? we, we we're family-oriented. But did you know that there are a lot of cultures in this world that are family-oriented? Like most of them? So ask them about it. Tell me about your family. In the village or the city or the country where you come from, what do most people do? How is that different from what you see here? In your society, what makes a person good? These are questions that are, that are, that are kind of basic, but they move quickly into, from, from superficial to the most profound and necessary questions we can make, we can ask. In Spanish, you say make questions. You don't say ask questions. I'm excusing my bad English. What is your greatest fear? You don't ask that the first question. But down the road, you can ask that. After you've had dinner together, after you've shared a cup of coffee, after you know their names and their kids and you know some things about them, what's your greatest fear? What do you believe happens after a person dies? When we evangelize people from a different culture, we don't start with our culture. We don't start with the way we were saved. <laughs> Can I make fun? Or is that allowed in this class? I didn't get a yes from the boss, but everybody else said, okay. So here. Do you remember God's simple plan of salvation, a little track that was very famous? You probably had it at your church years ago. It was the tiniest print known to mankind, and it was in two different colors, red and probably black. The red was absolutely impossible to see. Millions of those things were printed and passed out. We would buy them, by, churches would buy them and print their own name on it so it looked like it was their track because they were so proud of it. And millions of those things were printed and they were translated into other languages and sent around the world. And every once in a while you would hear a, a testimony of someone who got saved by reading that. Someone who apparently had a magnifying glass. Um, and that was the method. We went up and down streets passing out that little track. And I'm not knocking the track or the wonderful person who invented it. I'm just saying... That was a method was very specific, and it probably worked at some point, but it isn't a good method. It's not the way we talk to people about the Lord. Not every, not every conversation starts with what would happen today if you died. Whoa. You don't say that to an immigrant. <laughs> okay? That's not a good way to start. <laughs> You're not opening doors. <laughs> You're building a fortress around yourself that will never be penetrated. You, we don't start the way we, we thought we were supposed to start. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your country. What kind of foods do you eat that are different from here? Have you had a taco lately? I know where they have good tacos. You don't say that to everyone, obviously. Not even everyone who speaks Spanish. 
In Mexico, a taco is what you know as a taco. In Ecuador, a taco is the heel of a woman's shoe. In, in Chile, a taco is a traffic jam. So don't, don't think you know everything because you know taco. Um, and in taco, taco in Swahili is a totally different word that you should never use. Just telling you, okay? That's just free. Um, what I'm saying is we need to evangelize the world and we need to cross the borders. But guys, I think some of those borders are right here. And we can go beyond these borders and we can reach these people. And Kansas City is one of those cities that is known for great immigration. There are pockets, and pockets, some pockets are bigger than others, of different cultures right here where we live. We must care enough to understand and to empathize. We have to understand them. We have to, we have to care. It's not a matter of, well, I got three people saved today. Three of them prayed the sinner's prayer, and, and now they're saved because they, they looked at the track I was showing them. No, we've got we to gotta develop a relationship. We've got to talk to them. We've got to understand, and they have to understand us. And We build that. It doesn't mean we're slower on purpose. We just, we just are intentional in how we evangelize, especially people from a different culture. Someone paraphrased Paul's saying to the Corinthians by saying, yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. It's up to us to make the efforts. It's not up to them to understand the Romans wrote. It's not up to them to understand uh, John 3.16. It's up to us to be able to explain it and to make it known to them. We make ourselves like them so that they can hear what God has to say to them. These are principles that apply to cross-cultural evangelization and church planning, and it goes all the way around the world. We teach our young missionaries that, but I think we need to teach us that because the nations have come to our country. You saw the video. You saw all those pictures. That's, those aren't the great cities of the world. Those are the, that's our country. All of those cultures are here, and we need to be active. I'm not saying we're not going to send missionaries anymore other places. We need to keep doing that, obviously. That's where millions of people live. But some of those people are here, and all of us can be involved in that. But we have to have some cross-cultural training, don't we? We need to understand how to do this. How will they listen if we don't meet them? We've got to meet people. The first thing to do, the first step, is simply willing to say, Hello, my name is Jim. Now, if your name isn't Jim, you shouldn't say that. But (laughs) that's the first step. Let's try it. Everybody... When I say three, say, hello, my name is, and then you say your name. Ready? One, two, three. Hello, my name is Larry. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Very good. That wasn't hard, was it? That's the first step in evangelizing an immigrant. Did you know that? That's the first step in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with someone who's from a different place. Someone with a different culture, a different background, a different language, a different skin tone. God has brought them to our neighborhoods and to our city. And we need to take the first step. I've heard of some churches who 
sponsor cultural heritage events because there's a pocket of people that live close by, and so they'll they'll offer that. They'll offer a, a, a you know a Greek food or, or or whatever whatever nation or whatever culture is close by. Let let's have something at our facility, and people come and share their culture. It's not an evangelistic event. There's there's plenty of evangelism going on around here, uh, and some of it will be subtle, but we open it up, just like you you've done in the past with your your trunk or trunk or treat I think you call it, and where you just open up your 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 parking lot and and it's it's just an open thing and it's a cultural it's a it's a it's a family it's a it's a it's an environmental you do things because you reach people that way well. We do that with cultures by inviting them in to share their culture. Food and customs and music. And that old saying is true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You, we need to show our love for people. Jesus was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. That's exactly what's going on with the Great Commission right now, with the, with the, with the immigration. Let's always keep in mind that we cannot build bridges if we're not including the gospel. Uh, we don't have cultural events. We don't, we don't have these, these interchanges with people we're not introducing ourselves just to be friendly. That's the first step. There must be a gospel on the other side of that bridge. We, we bridge we, we're building these bridges to get the gospel to them. Building bridges without the gospel is like building a bridge to nowhere. There's a sidewalk at the Hyatt that runs right into a wall. And I think that's hilarious. Um, for $10 and one of my people with a shovel, we could make a garden out of that part and have people go away from the wall instead of straight into it. Um, it wouldn't be that complicated. A bridge that goes nowhere serves no purpose. Our bridges have to reach, have to lead to the gospel. When Sharon uh, was involved in the prison ministry, she did a lot of practical social things. She gave people stuff and she helped them with their legal stuff. But the bridge was to the gospel. It wasn't just to help drug runners have a better life. It was to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I want to tell you a story about um, one of my girls in prison. Maybe I, I think I've told it here before, so some of you might have heard it, but it, it's really a good example of bridging the gap or bridging or um, going beyond borders and, and building the bridge. These girls were from all over the world that, that I was working with. They were from lots of different countries in Europe and South Africa, Australia, United States, Canada, some from Asia. And they were there on drug trafficking charges, many of them not guilty. Some of them were guilty, but many of them had been tricked or, um, or something slipped into their bag. And so I was able to contact their family for them. I was able to um, go to court with them, talk to the authorities, take care of medical needs, anything, because they didn't speak Spanish. And um, that, was, that was something that they did have in common, too. 
but the most important thing was to teach them about Jesus. Well, one day when I went in, there was, um, the girls told me we had a new girl, and they always did that because I knew they would, that Interpol took everything away from them, and I knew they would need some soap and shampoo, and I always had a little bag, and then I would get a blanket for them and maybe a mattress because the prison provided nothing. And so this day they said, we have a girl, and she's in our room, but we can't talk to her. She's from Russia. She doesn't speak English. And so I was walking in, and I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with Russian. But then I, sent, I went over. She was sitting over by the side, really sad. And I talked to her, sat down by her. I found out she did know a little bit of Spanish. She had been living in Spain. And so she started, um, we, we went aside, and we, she started to tell me her story. She said that she had, he had had a baby. And the father of the baby took the baby away and said, when you go to Ecuador and get, bring back my drugs, then you can have your baby back. And so she was crying, and, and she said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I put my arm around her. Her name was Dina. I said, Dina, do you know God loves you? And she said, no, nobody loves me. I don't have family. I, now I don't have my baby. I don't have anybody. Nobody loves me. And I said, I love you, and so does God, and I'm going to show you. And I had my Spanish Bible, and I went very slowly because she didn't, she didn't speak it very well, but she did understand. We talked for a long time, and then she prayed and asked Jesus to save her. Now, whenever a girl would accept the Lord, I wanted to find one of the other girls that could kind of stay with her because it was such a dark, evil place. And I'm trying to think, who, who can help Zena? Who can talk to her? And I remembered Laura from Poland was in there. She was one of our strong Christian girls, and Laura did speak Spanish. So I said, let's go find Laura. And we did. And I said, Laura, this is Zena, and she's from Russia. And Laura said something I didn't understand. And then Zena, with a smile on her face, said something back to Laura that I didn't understand. I said, Laura, do you speak Russian? And she said, oh, yes. She said, I have relatives in Russia growing up. I spent lots of time there. <laughs> you know, God gave Zena the gift of eternal life and even someone to disciple her in her own language. Where? In Ecuador, in a jail, a Russian girl, discipled by a Polish girl, both of them in jail for things they should not have done, stuff that we would consider illegal and immoral, and we would certainly wash our hands of that kind of foolishness. But that's where they, that's where she found the Lord, led to the Lord in Spanish by a girl from Colorado. Are you seeing the borders here? <laughs> Lots of borders. We've got to go beyond all those borders. We've got to get over ourselves. We have to examine our hearts. It starts with our view of our, our, our worldview and our Great Commission worldview. When you think of yourself, do you think of yourself as, what is the first thing you think? I'm an American. I'm a Chiefs fan. She's from Denver, remember, okay. Um, I'm, uh, I'm Monday night. Actually, while I'm driving across the country. Um, what, what is the first identity you have? It should be, I'm a Christ follower. Before I'm an American, before I'm a Republican, before I'm whatever else I am, I'm a Christ follower. And that is going to affect the way I see the world and the way I see people. We must be more a citizen of heaven than anything else. And our actions should be dictated by 
the biblical mandate to reach people with the gospel more than our own politics, even by our own morality? Are we personally lifting up our eyes to see those that are beyond our church? Are we developing relationships with other people? When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. And then he said, pray. There's going to be... um, Life is going to be difficult as we go forward into the urbanization and the more immigration that happens. And if everyone isn't feeling a little bit uncomfortable, we're probably not on the right track. So it's okay to feel uncomfortable. But we must see these people that are all around us as God sees them. Irwin Irwin McManus says, For years the bulk of American Christians who were committed to missions could only participate through giving and praying. Today the call to cross-cultural ministry doesn't even require going. It requires staying with a purpose. God would not allow us to live in a time of such great opportunity if he did not have on his heart the desire to pour out the greatest movement of his spirit in human history. I hope that's the way we see things. Let's take this opportunity of all the confusion and chaos and see it as an opportunity for Christ to shine, for the Spirit of God to move, and for us to be plugged in to getting other people into contact in the presence of Jesus Christ. We have that opportunity. We are still going to pray, and we're still going to give, and we're going to still send those who will go. But all of us, can talk to our neighbor. All of us can be can live our lives on purpose. I love that. We can stay, but you better stay on purpose. It's not just to hide in your bunker and to hope nobody sees you. Uh, if we're staying, it's because we're staying on purpose. We want those that come around us to hear of Jesus as well. Right? When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Thank you for the years of support and prayer for us as a family. You have meant a lot to us. We uh, finish up this week tonight, and I hope you'll all be here for that too. But um, as you go, there are some cards back on the table, our little prayer cards. As you get older and smarter, you make prayer cards really little. Um, Our picture is there, so you remember us. Our name is Smith. That's hard. For those that want more information, there's a brochure, there's a website, there's a blog, there's all kinds of stuff. We, we want you to continue to be in contact and connected with us so that we can have your prayer support on our lives so that we can continue doing what we do, encouraging pastors and leaders all over the world to continue on and so that we can all develop this, this great commission worldview that we see every opportunity, every person as an opportunity for us to fulfill the Great Commission. Let's be faithful in what God has given us. You might not need a passport to be an intercultural missionary because they might come to you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for blessing us, for having us, uh, for giving us this opportunity to, to know you and to, and to come into contact with the gospel at an early age and 
thank you for all of these who are here today who, who know you and, and are, are here to study your word and here wanting to know what you have for them. And I pray that your spirit would apply the truth that we've seen today to our own lives. And I pray that we too would be moved with compassion as we see people around us that need you. I pray your blessing as we apply this and pray you would guide us. Give us what we need to do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's give him a hand and share.